you know, I tried to just have the most simple approach as possible. Like people talk about setting goals. I just went in with the same ones. It's like if, if I have a right attitude, if I have, if I prepare to the best of my ability, and if my effort is uh, at the maximum level, I feel like whatever God's will is for the stat sheet or, you know, for what I'm supposed to do to look like, it'll, it'll be pleasing to him and then pleasing to me at the end of the day. Like I won't have to stress over, I need this many yards and catches. Like, like this is why I, I need this contract right now. It was just like, you know, if I keep it that simple and win one rep at a time, win one play, if I continuously win one play, like I wouldn't even know what my stats were until like after the game. So I would tell my stats, I'll be like, <laughs> what the heck? Like, and literally like, so that's because if I was worried about those stats, there was no way I'll be able to be as present in the game to be able to move from play to play with the same energy and the same focus. So I just try to keep it like that. Just throw stats out the window, throw the outcomes out the window, just hope and believe that the outcome will be good and put, then put the outcome in God's hands. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Proper Creative. They help me with our brand content and, of course, making our swag. They're the ones that ship it out to us. That's Proper Creative, and they work with any type of business, whether you're a big corporation or a small business or even running it out of your house. They will work with you, and they will help you and relieve a ton of liability and work from your shoulders. That's Proper Creative. You can follow them on Instagram, P-R-O-P-R, or you can go to their website at P-R-O-P-R. R-O-P-R-L-L-C.com. Let Proper Creative help you build your brand and sell direct to consumer, regardless of the size of your business. Proper Creative is definitely a good choice. Welcome to another week of Level Up with Matt Rogers. I am your host, Matt Rogers. Super excited today. Our guest. I mean, dude, I've always feel like we've been blessed with the best guest on the planet. Today is definitely no exception of the rule. Before we get to our pro bowler, our unbelievable guest today that just has an amazing story. A lot of people are going to tune in because they might have already heard pieces of the story and just, you know, who he is. But we're also going to go a little bit deeper to hopefully uncover things that you might not know. Before we do that, I do want to introduce our producer, uh, co-EP and yeah. electrician, freaking electrician. <laughs> everything you do, Dude, Eli Adelman. I had a, we're, we're building a studio at my house right now. We had an electrician over, and it was like he was speaking a completely different language. Really? Oh, yeah, because we're trying to do as much as we can. I thought ourselves. you were smart, bro. I thought this was bro, like a thing. Electricity is something else. Electricity yeah. is something else. Yeah. Anyway. Dude, speaking of electricity, we have a guest today that is freaking electrifying in every sense of the word. I'm not going to freaking keep you guys on your heels too much. In the house, I'm super honored to introduce to you 2020 Pro Bowler and just a guy that his story is not only inspiring so many people, but encouraging people. Because the truth is, so many of us in our life have been uh, in that deep, dark pit. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't know how to get out of it. And this is a man who not only has gotten out of it, but is overcoming and getting out of it every day. Again, the Las Vegas Raiders tied in. Odds are he's on your fantasy football team if you play the one and only Darren Waller in the house. Yeah, baby. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. Dude, you're the freaking best. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, anything for you. Oh, why do you say that, dude? I feel like anything for you. 
Nah, man, you, you've hosted multiple events uh, for my foundation and brought the energy and, you know, and then just having a conversation with you one-on-one, just, you know, the good things you got to say about me, it's been really encouraging. So I really mean that. Well, dude, honestly, I, I, A, I appreciate that. And B, like, you know, not to patronize you because, you know, people tell you all the time, but like, I like being around good people. Like, I feel like God's blessed me with the opportunity to be an MC and an auctioneer and I'm around cool athletes all the time. But, you know, once in a while, there's special ones like you that I can just tell, man, you have a heart for people. You know, football is what you do. It's not who you are which is awesome. And I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong at any time in this podcast, but I feel like football is your vehicle to do much bigger things in life. Right. I fully agree with that. You know, I feel like that's my current calling at this moment. And, you know, there are great things about it. Playing the game is fun. You know, the connections I get to have with people and the influence that I get to develop through it is, is awesome. But I mean, I'm going to have at least probably 60 years left of my life. God willing. Uh, after I'm done playing the game. So there's so much more to life than just this small time period. It's so freaking rad. And it's cool. And we're going to get into it because dude, you didn't talk like this five, six years ago. Did you? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm representing today. Look at this. I'm wearing my Darren Waller shirt that we got not at his last event, but two events ago, which bro, you and cousin Brandon rocked (laughs) the stage. It was a Darren Waller concert. And I mean, look at not to bag on other athletes that, you know, try to be musicians because there's some out there that are okay. And there's some out there that are really, really bad. And yeah. it's like, eh, stick to boxing or basketball or whatever it is. Darren's freaking legit, bro. Yeah. He brought, dude, you brought the house down. It was energy was there. Obviously the lyrics were good. The lyrics were inspiring and the beats, the beats, dude, it's all about the freaking beats. Yep. Like, are you making me do this? And you were, and Brandon was. I love your cousin, Brandon. I love your family. So I'm, I'm representing. This was a concert. Oh, yeah. The Darren Waller concert. And I met you through, um, you know, my partners at Prolanthropy. Jeff Ginn, he was on our, uh, our podcast. He was our second episode. You could check him out. And, of course, that's how you and I met. So we've done three events together now. And, you know, hopefully more on the horizon. I know you're doing more, but like I said, you haven't always talked like this. Can we go back to the beginning? Like, I know you're born in Maryland. Are your parents, do your dad's so freaking rad and so proud of you? Like, how did you grow up? Did you have a good home life? Was it rough? Was it good? What was it like? Um, I had a great home life. Both my parents, you know, they've been married for 35 years now. So, I had an older sister. Uh, there was no abuse. There was no neglect. There was no rough environment around the house or the neighborhood. I lived, I lived in the suburbs. So uh, everything was there. You know, all my struggles came with, uh, you know, how I cope with the world around me, like the environments I was in, the uh, you know, relationships with other people. Like that's where, you know, I struggled and I began to doubt myself and, you know, not feel good about, who I was because I just felt like I was so different than everybody else. I couldn't mm-hmm. see it as a good thing. I could only see it as a bad thing. But I mean, my home life was great. My parents challenged us in a positive way. My They weren't the parents that were like, you're grounded if you go 0 for 3 in a baseball game or if you <laughs> right. don't perform. You know, they were uh, always there to encourage us to be our best and to just do everything with great effort. 
So when you say like you were different, were you, did you feel different because I mean now you're you know you're six six like two fifty five like were you different because you were taller when you were little or were you always the best or were you big and not good like what were you like uh, when you were little? I was I mean I guess up through like middle school I guess I was considered like kind of tall but not like towering over anyone but when I say different I mean just kind of like weird I guess like uh, like, <laughs> like kids quirky like. like what yeah. were you like? Yeah, I mean, like, other black kids would just say, like, I wasn't black enough, so that would just kind of make me feel like, like, what am I doing? Like, how do I, like, I'm not even doing anything wrong. Like, I'm just being me, you know? Like, but mm-hmm. there's already something wrong with me. Like, I'm not black. I can't even change the fact that I'm going to be black my whole life, and I'm not black enough. So it's kind of like that seed was set into me, and I believed it. And, you know, I was just, you know, I was very interested in school. You know, I was a nerd. I was, you know, I wasn't one of the cool people, you know, it seemed like the cool kids were always, you know, being loud and, you know, saying school sucks or, you know, getting, picking up all the chicks, you know, girls didn't really want to be around me because I just wasn't what embodied cool as a kid. So wow. those kind of things just kind of left me feeling like, I don't know what to do. And then it left me, then I turned to like people pleasing and trying to fit in with everybody else and what everybody else was doing. Uh, and that just wasn't working well, but, you know, I thought that was the only way. Dang, dude, I would have never freaking thought that because you look at you now and you're like, dude, you're like a freaking Greek god. You know what I mean? And, you know, your team is at the top of the freaking AFC West and you're in freaking Las Vegas. Like you look at you now and you're like, that's the guy I want to be. But when you were young, you didn't even like that guy. So uh, let me ask you this, too. Did you. So two questions. One. Was your school predominantly black? And two, what does that mean that you weren't black enough? Like, what do people, because I obviously didn't experience that as a white guy, but like, what does that mean? Like, what do you have to do to be black enough? What does that mean? Yeah, um, I'll say the schools I grew up in were, I mean, they were a little bit more than half white, but I mean, it was maybe like 60% white. And so there was black, a lot of black kids in all my schools. Uh, but I guess when I say black enough, it's like, you know, I liked rap music, but I also liked like rock music and classical music and different kinds of things. And, you know, a lot of things that, you know, black people know is just, they just know what they know. And anything that's kind of different or outside of the box is kind of like, we, we can tend to shoot things down instead of being more open-minded to things. And so mm-hmm. like me, you know, wearing, not sitting, not sagging my clothes or, you know, dressing like I was white or talking like I was white and caring about school. Like, like those probably weren't things that in their generations were seen as acceptable or cool. Like they felt like they had to be a certain way or fit a certain image. Whereas I was kind of different than that. I was kind of, I was not being able to be put in a box and it just kind of made people feel weird, uh, I guess, made them maybe feel a little bit insecure about themselves. So it was the music that I listened to. It was the way that I dressed. It was the way that I talked. Um, you know, anytime I, anytime I try to talk like cool or slang, like people would call me out and be like, yo, what you, what you doing? Like, no, you can't. <laughs> so I was just, a lot of my mannerisms, just who I was, was just different. I mean, I laugh about it now. We chuckle, but dude, that actually freaking sucks. Cause you're a kid and you don't, you know, you're not as secure in yourself as you are now. And I'm going to guess the reason that you liked classical music. And a lot of people don't know this, but your great grandfather is Fats Waller, which that dude's a freaking legend. We all know the song Stormy Weather, 
that's Fats Waller, his great grandfather. Is that the reason you liked classical music? Yeah, yeah. I was drawn to that and I was in band in middle school and I was playing the piano when I was like a toddler. So it's um so those things were kind of in me and I realized now looking back, I was like, you know, that's what makes me, you know, kind of unique. Like it's the fact that I like all these things and I don't have to be, you know, in one box. I can be everywhere. I can listen to anything I want to. And so back then it was kinda like, you know, I felt like I was it's weird for it or something's wrong with me but now it's like no that's what made me different in a good way dude and even today more so than ever you are different in a good way like bro i can't play an instrument i was a, i was a finalist on american idol and i didn't even know how to freaking read music let alone play an instrument like now that's like attractive to people like do you notice now being older like you're kind of like a banana peel and you, you know, there's a new layer every time you feel a like banana, like, Darren, I didn't know that about you. Like, do you see it as an asset now? Right. Yeah. I mean, it just allows you to form relationships with so many different kinds of people um, and to see the beauty that is in all of them, in all their walks of life. And I don't want to be ignorant or close minded to anything that I could learn or, you know, be amazed by. So, when for so going back to like your childhood when when was it really hard when you were like dude this freaking sucks like is it seventh grade is it eighth grade did you get jumped were you just constantly bullied on and you were insecure like when was that and what did that look like i would say from seventh from seventh grade to tenth grade was rough uh because in seventh grade uh in eighth grade i was pretty good at football uh and then but I was small and people were kind of shooting past me and people were already starting to lift weights and I wasn't lifting weights. So I was not only shorter than everyone, but I was like skinnier and weaker than everyone. So I wasn't, I didn't pass the eye test. Uh, and uh, you know, I just wasn't, my body wouldn't be able to hold up. So I was riding the bench my freshman year and sophomore year of high school. And, you know, through middle school, it was when I kind of realized that, you know, I could make people accept me by the way that I play football. Cause I was always good. I always, had a feel for it. You know, I never thought I was like, I'm going to the league, but I was like, I feel like I just know how to play and my body just has a feel for it. There's some things my body does even today that I don't even tell it to. <laughs> that's that's freaking cool. Weird. It's weird. But, um, but yeah, so when I put all my eggs to the football basket and then the football wasn't working out, I was kind of just like, man, like I don't even know what I'm doing here. Like I don't even know what I can do to be seen as cool because I, I I wanted and needed that approval from people so much. So it's from seventh to 10th grade was, was rough. And then 10th grade was when I, you know, I started uh, popping pills and stuff like that. When you say popping pills, what type of pills were you popping? And like, why were you popping them? Uh, back then it was just the uh, hydrocodone and, and oxycodone pills that you would get from like breaking your arm or something like that. Like those basic pain pills. But uh, some friends of mine were taking them and they offered them to me. And uh, they were like, this will make you feel good. And I was like, I always say like, yeah, at that time, like I wasn't feeling good. And I always said like, oh, I'm going to be straight and narrow. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. Like I'm going to do what's right. But then it was like when it came down to, you know, I wasn't really feeling great and I wanted to take it. That's why now I can have so much more empathy for people that do choose drugs and alcohol. Like a lot of people would be like, man, like what are they doing? Like they're ruining. It's like, nah, man, they just trying to feel good about something they don't know any other way. And so that's how I felt at that age. And it felt really good when I took it. Uh, so 
I, and that's where I started. And that's why I kept doing it. The crazy thing about drugs and alcohol is it, it's the one, one of the only things in life that doesn't, that truly doesn't discriminate whether you're rich, poor, smart, stupid, homeless, rich, it, my wife, cause I had my wife on this podcast earlier on in the year and before her and I, you know, or when her and I met, she was bad, bad, bad on drugs. And she talked about overcoming her drug addiction to where like she almost died. Like she got down to about 90 pounds and she said it was the only thing that literally called me by my name. She goes, I couldn't, get it i couldn't and and she was san diego state soccer girl you know great family like yourself 4.3 gpa but it was like you said there was that one person that one girl that influenced her in a bad way she wanted to fit in and didn't have you know the it just stinks when so are you going through your junior and senior year are you starting to taste success in football and you're still popping pills what does that look like yeah um right because all it's funny like when i started doing that it's like that's my life started to turn for the better coincidentally like right around the time i started using so i was like i felt like the using was just part of the formula like i got bigger uh over the summer between my sophomore and junior year and then you know that was my first year playing varsity and starting on varsity football and playing varsity basketball and you know just being somebody that at that point, you know, people want to be around you just because of what you do mm-hmm. and what your talents are. So I kind of, and then that was like a chance for me. Like I started feeling that love from people, which is what I wanted all the time to be accepted, to be, you know, cool. So, um, yeah, I mean, I started using more. I started smoking weed. Then I started drinking by then. So it was just like, you know, why would I even turn back now? Like this is, this is what I'm going to stick right. with it. Did you... And and were you more accepted? Obviously, because you're one of the star football players, you would end up going to Georgia Tech University. So uh, I'm a full ride scholarship there, right? So I mean, you you were good in football, and you're feeling good. Are now are you in the cool crowd? Uh, yeah, I'm in the cool crowd, but I always felt like it was only because I could play football. I was like, yeah, I mean, I was smart enough to realize like it's only because of what I do. It's not really who I am. But I was like, I'm going to go with it anyway because it feels good. And so that was kind of like that that compromise, that early compromise that I felt where I was just like, I'm willing to give up, you know, feeling an authentic connection for something that's really surface level just so I can feel it, just because so, I'm craving it and I need it. So I'm going to settle for this instead of being myself. And maybe that com- that connection may not be in as high as quantity, but the quality of it would have been better if I would have just stayed true to myself, which I can feel now today. But, you know, back then I was, I was part of the cool crowd, but it wasn't really how I would have wanted it to be. Do you like, if you can go back now and tell your 16 year old self something like what, what would you say? What would you have done different? Where did that kid screw up to where the Darren Waller now would help him? Um, I would have say find a way to stick with music. Um, because that'll be one of the first ones. Um, because it means so much to me today, just from either listening or creating or anything. And back then, you know, I was in band in middle school, but I but I gave it up after middle school because I was like, this isn't cool. Like, it, yeah. you know, you heard the term band geeks or band nerd. Like, so I was like, this isn't cool. So I'm giving it up. And I, what I was really giving up was a passion of mine that I just completely chopped out of my life. It wasn't an outlet for me, a, a space for me to go and just, you know, give me that feeling of joy. 
so I would say stick with music, but really in all, just, you know, wait it out, you know, have patience and know that who you really are will mean something and will, you know, create the relationships and the opportunities and the pathways for you to go about life the way that you would really want it. Uh, so that's what I would say to him just to, just to wait it out. Dude, that's so important because when I played football at the university, when I was playing football at the university of Iowa and I went there and everything was getting paid for, I loved drama. I wasn't a drama guy, but I loved the performing arts. Like I was the kid that was in all the church plays, loved to sing. And then when I got to Iowa, like you, the football players, like everyone made fun of me. Like we you know all the freaking gay kids and the stupid kids and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, yeah, you're right. And I'll just get my sociology degree, which I don't even use it now. But like, I look back now, I'm like, I freaking blew that. Like I could have had a performing arts degree and who knows what would it, cause now like I'm 43 now I don't care. And Darren, you've seen me like, dude, I get on, I love people. I love to laugh. I love to perform. I love to make people laugh. And it sucks when we let at a young age, outside influences influence us instead of our God given desires that he puts in our heart, man. So that's you, you hit the spot right there. So, so after you, so you graduate high school and now you go to Georgia tech, are things better, worse, or the same? Um, I would honestly say worse because it was like starting over. Uh, I was like the, I was like the freshman kid all over again at the school. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the recruiting list, I was like probably like the last or like second to last rated recruit. You know, I wasn't really highly rated coming out. Um, so I just kind of felt bad and felt like, oh, people were already better than me. I just had – just took me back to that place when I was like 14, 15. And, you know, so I really didn't think that I would play there. So I was just like, well, I'm just going to, you know, party and, you know, impress people by the way that I can drink or the way that I can out pop or snort uh, anything. You know, I know that in a, on a college party scene, you know, that'll kind of get me places. Mm-hmm. So – you know, I, I still remember, you know, my parents uh, came and helped me move into my dorm within like 15 minutes after they left and like said their goodbyes and everything. There were some older players in the dorms that kind of kicked the door in and they were like, all right, we're taking shots. It's like freshman, y'all got to come out of the room. And, you know, I was just kind of like, all right, like, yeah, let's like, let's get, let's get this thing rolling. And, you know, so that was just me. Like I, I was started going out. I was going out probably four or five nights a week, drinking every day, smoking every day, getting high every day. So did you have, did you have that reputation on the scene, on the, on the team? Because people talk and coaches have a way of finding out, like, were you the party kid or like, who were you? Like, what was your identity on that team? Like, you know, you got the badass, you got the funny guy, like you got the freaking slap dick. Like, were you, the were you the party guy like oh that's waller he's okay but he parties too much like what what was your identity on the team uh i think my identity on the team was i was just a guy that people couldn't really figure out because i would go and do crazy stuff and party and all that but when i came in the building like i was you know yes sir no sir like respectful and you know kind of quiet like if i got into the right environment i would kind of let my personality show but um you know i was very you know I wasn't very sure of myself. So I was very like quiet in that term, like the drugs and alcohol would kind of bring out this confidence that I thought I had. So it would be like, Oh man, he parties and does all this, but he's actually 
a respectful person and he's intelligent and he, you know, gives his best effort when he's here. Right. But, you know, I felt, so I felt like I was a guy that people really couldn't like figure out like who I was. Did you figure out who you were? Like, did you know who you were or were you kind of all over the place in your mind too? I was very all over the place. I knew that I wasn't me. Uh, I knew that I was trying to be somebody else or fit into what the world saw as cool or successful. I knew that about myself. I didn't know who I truly was, but I knew that I wasn't who I should be. Did your parents have any idea that this was going on? Uh, my, my parents knew. I was just talking to somebody the other day about <laughs> how, you know, we used to, I used to just walk into the house just fried and, you know, and think that my parents didn't notice or things like that. So they knew that I was, you know, partaking, but I don't think they knew that it was to the depths that it really was. Was it all you thought about for a while? Like did, did getting high partying, was that more important than football? Absolutely. I was, uh, I couldn't be, I couldn't be present anywhere. I couldn't be present in the game because, you know, football just became like people pleasing for me. So it wasn't really like a place where I woke up every day and was like, I can't wait to go please these people. Or try to impress these people. It wasn't like I can't wait to go play football. I never had that mindset of gratitude. So, um, so yeah, and, the, and the, like the party and the drinking, like that gave me that confidence. It gave me that feeling. It allowed me to just kind of numb out and forget about everything I had to do or perform at. So anytime I was at practice, I was like, man, I can't wait till we get off and go and cop this thirty pack, going to cop yada yada yada. And so anywhere I was, I was like, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to go get high. I can't wait to feel this feeling instead of, you know, finding that feeling exactly where I was. So it wasn't really about going to practice to get better to win. It was like, let's get through practice so we can go party after. Yeah. Let's get it over with. Cause yep. I ain't really trying to be here anyway. Like I have to be here. So I'm going to fulfill my obligation, but I feel no real desire to be here. Did you practice sober and hung over or did you practice and play high? Uh, a mixture of both. Um, there were, time, there were times where I would get high and be like, all right, let me just see how this goes today. And just then there would be times where I would be in a hangover of death at practice or a, or a workout or something like that. So it was a mixture of both. Did you ever get drug tested? Did you ever fear that or that or what you were doing uh, wouldn't show up? Or did you have to uh, cheat yeah. them? Yeah, we, um, we would get drug tested. Uh, I ended up – I failed too, mm-hmm. um, but – you know, that we got tested a lot. So I would literally any workout or any practice, we had to walk to the, walk to the practice fields from the locker room. And I would have like a five hour energy bottle of pee in my girdle every day. And I'll put it in my sneakers that I walked over to practice in. So anytime they popped us, it would be in the bathroom at the indoor. So I would just, you know, go over there, you know, get let everybody line up. I put my bottle in my girdle at the practice, which was steaming high after practice so i would keep it there because <laughs> they check the temperature of your urine so yeah. i would keep it in my in my girdle to keep it warm because if your pee's not warm then they're gonna be you like know. yeah out your body like they're gonna know something's up so i'll do that and i passed a lot of tests doing that um and then they started uh doing like a mouth swab where they could detect like if you use within 24 or 48 hours and there's no way you can really finesse a mouth swab like i so they, that's one of the ways i got popped and then I got popped because uh, I got arrested one time and had to submit the police report to the school. And like the police report said, the car was like full of smoke. And they pulled mm-hmm. it on me like I was hotboxing. And so I submitted that and they basically took that as like a failed test because 
you know, I had fake pee on me everywhere I went, so I would have uh, finessed that test as well. So, like, they That's got me for crazy. two. And then after my second one, they were like, all right, we're going to test you every Tuesday. So they would test me every Tuesday. And literally every Tuesday after they test me early in the morning, I would go I would go get high as possible on that Tuesday and, you know, and then try to, like, flush it out, like, the rest of the week. I mean, there would be some weeks where I will still, like, smoke again or pop pills again. So I don't even know how I didn't fail another one, but uh, that was my experience with drug testing in college. That's crazy. For for parents who are listening that have kids going through similar, you know, situations like you, is there anything they can do? Was there anything that anyone could have done for you? Because you have great parents, and I've met them in person several times, and they're, I mean, they're awesome. You had great coaches that probably had the talk with you of, do you know what your future is going to look like if you like, I'm sure you had all those yet nothing really sank in, right? Like what can people do? Is there anything they could have done? Um, I feel like they could have been uh, uh, transparent about their experiences with what I was doing. Um, like I know I learned later on that my dad was, you know, pretty much doing the same things that I was doing. Uh, I know some of my coaches were, I know a lot of older people in my life were, but they were kind of waving the finger at me. Like, don't do that don't do this. And you like, like you said, don't you, you have your future in front of you. But I mean, I told you the way that I was thinking and acting about how I can't wait to go get high. Like I don't care about my future right now. So that's not even going to resonate with me. So I, I thought like people, if people were more honest, like, Hey, like, you know, I don't, don't want you to do this because I did all that. And it left me feeling like this for a decade. And I don't want you to waste a decade of your life. You know, I've been where you've been. But when people kind of wave the finger at you, you don't think that they are trying to resonate. You feel like they're just trying to maybe attack you. Like, I felt like the world was out to get me from my family to the administration of the school, the coaches. Like, I felt like everybody was out to get me. I don't feel like anybody was trying to come down into the dirt with me and be like, hey, I've been here. Come on, let's try to find a way out of this. It was kind of just like, what are you doing down there? Get up. Who were you tight with? Like, and, and how did you grow up? Like, are you are you a man of faith? Like, do you, you know, are you Catholic, Christian, Muslim? Do you have a faith background? Um, so I grew up going to church, but I realized uh, since I got clean that my relationship with God was very transactional. It was like, uh, you know, if I do these good things, if I do these religious practices, if I can memorize certain things, you know, God will have to bless me. Like if I do right, if I treat people right, like I'm owed something in return when I'm really not owed anything by him at all. Um, if I'm right with him and I have faith and I try to cultivate that relationship with him day to day, then he'll, then his will will be done in my life. But I wasn't thinking that way back then. I was just like, Oh, if I do a few things, pl- plug into this faith formula you know, I'm going to get what I want out of it in the long run. And it's going to help my image out. So once I kind of, I kind of picked up on the fact that I was doing that uh, in college and I just, you know, kind of abandoned faith altogether. I would just, if anything was God or I went to a church service, it was just like to show the face or to let, or to give off this image. Like I'm a good person. So it was, that was tough for me. I didn't really get back to or cultivate any kind of real faith till maybe a couple years ago. Really? So what's changed in the last couple of years? Like, and what do you, like, what are you now? Like, are you Christian? Are you a, a Jesus guy? Are you, what, what faith are you now? Uh, yeah, I'll say I'm Christian. I'm a Jesus guy. I'm really uh, getting into reading the Bible more. Um, 
I don't watch much TV. I watch a lot of sermons. Uh, I feel Who like do you like? Who uh, you listen to? Big, I'm a big Michael Todd guy, Transformation Church. Yeah, Tulsa, baby. I was just watching one right before I came on here. Um, but yeah, uh, that's uh, what I'm about now. Uh, does just, he, does he know that you life. watch him? Yeah. He knows that you watch him? Oh, no, I don't think he knows that I watch him. Do you like the idea? Because you're so well-spoken and you have this platform. Do you do you see yourself talking in churches down the road? Like if, if he had you out, would you go to Transformation Church and share your story and encourage people and preach? Man, wow. Preaching is kind of scary. You know, I've, <laughs> I've actually had like, you know, like sometimes I can just feel God like talking to me or like putting an idea in my mind. Like, and I, I kind of thought a couple times, like, what if I do? Like, is he trying to pull me that route? Is he trying to make pull me out? And I just, you know, it's, it's just been mostly a thought right now. But if that was an opportunity, I feel like, you know, I would definitely do it. The thing and that strikes me about you, which is true, it's like I think a lot of times, and it's maybe the way we've been brought up, is like, well, if God calls you to the ministry, then you can't do this other stuff. And I don't believe that's true. You know, the Bible says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And I think – you know, you can definitely influence that side with all the while still being who you are, telling your story, being a football player, being a pro bowler and, you know, and encouraging people. You know, like you said, you wish people would have just related to you where they were at and what they were going through. And I think you do that very well. So, dude, I definitely think preaching is in your future because I've always gotten that vibe from you. But, you know, I'm always in the setting and, you know, I'm seen as your auctioneer. So we only get like this much time to really go deep in what we're doing right now. Cause we're thinking about the event and stuff, but yeah, man, that's, that's definitely something you can do. And I could, you know, from firsthand experience, there's not a greater feeling than when you help somebody find their identity in Christ. It is the best feeling in the world. Uh, Derek Carr, he's a Jesus guy, right? Yeah. Big time. And he's a huge supporter of you. Like that guy loves you, dude. Like I seen him at your like that guy really likes you. Yeah, he's a. I mean, he's an incredible guy. You know, he's been that way since I first got to the team. You know, I remember I would come to the to the Bible studies that they would have early on, and you know, I was still coming in there. You know, kind of raw. You know, I was. You know, I'd been clean for over a year, but you know, I was still trying to work through a, a lot of things. And I was, you know, fresh off of a practice squad, and you know, and a lot. Of, and I would just say things in there that were really raw and just real. And, you know, some guys kind of look crazy, but Derek would always, you know, encourage me. And that kind of turned into a relationship on the field, you know, where I didn't want to let him down. I always wanted to be open, of course, but I wanted to, you know, be available for him and help him succeed at what he does because, you know, he was a friend to me. That's good. Well, you know, and we could talk about this more offline if you want, but, like, if you, you got influence. So if you ever wanted, like, Mikey Todd to come do a Raiders you know, because I know that, like, on Friday night, Saturday night, they'll have chaplain. Like, if you ever wanted, you know, your boy to come in and preach and lay it down, or you want Mikey Todd or someone, you let me know. We could make that happen offline. Because um, you got influence. Anyone would do that for you and with you in a heartbeat. Um, going back to college, like, at what point did you start to believe, okay, I'm going to be an NFL football player? Like, did that ever cross your mind? Um, I would say, I guess after my junior year. I mean, I mean, they really, it was other people told me they were like, "Man, like you, like you know." 
people from the league, like scouts and stuff, are going to start coming around. And, and I was like, well, dang. Like, you know, I felt like I was doing good things, but, you know, I was in the triple option. So it was like if I got three balls a game. I felt like I was hitting the lottery. Right. So, and, I, and I did a lot with those targets that I got. So it was like, man, like, but I always find something that was wrong with me. Like, oh, we don't run very many routes or, oh, we don't do this. So it was like, I was never really confident in myself to where I was like, I'm going to the NFL. Like, this is what it is. It was always just like, uh, well, I guess if they say so, like, maybe I'll find a way to sneak in. So it just, the confidence wasn't there. But I knew, I just, I mean, I was smart. I knew that I could play the game. I was making plays whenever I got an opportunity. It was just that, you know, the person I was off the field, I just didn't have a lot of confidence in him. So it was just like, it was hard for me to have that, have a confidence just kind of pop up out of nowhere on the field. Did you ever, um, did like, you know, cause you had a good junior year and you had a good senior year and it almost sounds like not by accident. Cause I'm sure, you know, there was a lot of intention to what you were doing, but like you said, your focus was never, I'm going to work as hard as I can to be an NFL football player. It was just like, you were just kind of doing college, doing football and it happened. Was there ever a moment to where it's like, Oh crap. I got a shot at this. I'm really going to do it. I better sober up. I better get after it. Or did that never happen? Um, no, it didn't really happen. Uh, I sobered up before the uh, before the combine uh, for two months just so I passed that test. Was that hard or no? Uh, yeah, it was hard, very hard. Um, but I mean, the facility. I was at a facility in Arizona training for the combine, and we were working out all day, every day. So I was like completely drained every every day. I got back to my room, so. Uh, so just that schedule allowed me to kind of make it through. But uh, right after the combine was over, you know, I was right back to it. So uh, didn't really give my give sobriety a chance at all. I did it just to kind of get people off my back because I knew that I was coming in with red flags to the combine. So I was mm-hmm. like, There's, I can't fail this combine test and still continue to put this football image on for people to see. You know, I need to pass this test so I can get back to what I'm doing and kind of get people off my back. So crazy. And then you're drafted by the Baltimore Ravens in the sixth round of the 2018 draft, 2019. What was it? Uh, 2015, 20. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking Raiders 2015 draft. Uh, you're drafted six round. Now is it okay? Now I'm going to get serious. Now I'm going to get after it. Or is it more pressure? Because now you have a whole new set of, people to fit in with because now it's NFL life and it's business. And by the way, which is probably one of the number one reasons I wasn't great in NFL. Like I was, I was average in high school. I was great in college. And then I just wasn't great in the NFL because when I got there in the business and I looked around and I've always been a pretty optimistic guy, Eli. Um, When I saw the business side of it, I was like, dude, I can't, this is not me. Like I was, a free agent practice squad guy. And I was just, I'm looking at, I'm like, I can't do that. (laughs) that I mean, and that was me on this level. You're drafted. Did you feel a new set of pressure and problems and Harbaugh's your coach? And he doesn't seem like the softest guy in the world. Yeah. It was just nothing but pressure and fear. Like I kind of knew that eventually I would crash and burn. because I just didn't really have great. I didn't have any kind of value. I didn't really have any, you know, anything that could really anchor me through, you know, a tough time or a pressure filled time. So I kind of knew that I was going to crash and burn, but, uh, so yeah, I, when I got there, I was just like, 
you know, not really feeling it. I just wasn't confident. I was, I mean, I had hands of stone uh, my rookie year, hands of stone, like through the off season and training camp practices, like, you know, and it just wasn't great. And then I ended up getting on IR there my rookie year. But like I was using the whole time, you know, they put me in the drug program and they sent me to New York for like this all day psychic psych evaluation. I had to take all these tests and, you know, they're basically trying to see like if I should be in the drug program or not. And I basically, I just lied and finessed the whole evaluation and they were about to let me just not be in the drug program. And they're like, if you can make it through the preseason without failing a drug test, we'll uh, let you be out of the drug program. But I failed one right before like the last preseason game. And so I was in the drug program and game, I got tested two to three times a week for five years. And, uh, and I was still using, I was, there are times I'll drink detox, drink, I'll drink like multiple detox drinks a week and like sit in the sauna for like an hour or an hour and a half before practice. Like there's, you know, the, um, with there's stuff like my story where they show like hardball talking to me at practice. Or I look like I'm out yes, of this. Totally. It's like, people are like, Oh, you think he's high. Like, I think that day I was, was one of those days where I was trying to pass a drug test and I sat in the sauna for like literally like an hour and a half. And like was chugging water and stuff. So I was like sitting in the sun for an hour and a half, then go out into 90 something degree heat and practice. Like I was like about to die out there. And he's like, come on, like, come on, let's get going here. Let's get it going. Yeah. So I like, saw that. That was that, that was that interview you did with Steve Smith and they would show clips of you, like your rookie year yeah. and your second year. And it just looked, it looked like a train wreck. Like it, <laughs> right. it was, it was, it was bad. And, yeah, and it's crazy. Bad. It's crazy. So like, let me, let me sit here for a minute with you. Like what's going through your mind and like, I guess the only thing is, do you know that you're addicted and you don't care or are you so smart because you are, and you've always been intelligent. Are you like, no, this is just what I want to do. And, and I can get around it and fool people. Like, what are you thinking? Yeah, I was still, I mean, I still thought that I had power, you know, I still thought I could finesse and manipulate and, you know, charm my way out of things. But at the same time, I was still thinking, I was just like, man, like, I'm a wreck, like, life's a mess. Like, you know, I was, if you, I mean, like, even looking at my, like, apartment and stuff, like, it was just dirty and, you know, just, like, everywhere. And it's just, like, I don't know, my life, I live the lifestyle of, you know, an, an addict pretty much, but, you know, I was still thinking like, oh, I'm a Georgia Tech graduate. I'm in the NFL. I'm making this much money. Like, right. I'm not that. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm just doing what I do. But, were were yeah. you depressed? Were you lonely? Were you scared? Any of those things? Oh, yeah. I was all those things. I was definitely depressed. Uh, definitely. Did lonely. you know you were depressed? Yeah, for sure. I just woke up every day, like, and I woke up every day, like, sad and woke up every day like scared to get out the bed and go to work like uh i didn't have any relationships with guys on my team like i think there was only like two guys i maybe hung out with outside the building it was only because they were doing the same that i was doing right um so it was just all those any kind of negative emotion i was experiencing you don't have to name names if you don't want to but where are those guys today um one guy is playing a arena league football uh, and then one's no longer with us. Because why? Uh, because of exactly what we were doing. Damn. Oh, man. Um, when 
So what would you do? How do you battle the depression? Because I mean, dude, even outside of drugs, depression is a huge pandemic, not only in America, but in the world. And people don't know what to do. I've been there before. Like when I, when I was done with football, my mom passed away, who was the biggest encouragement of my life. I went through a depression. I wanted someone to hit me over the head with a hammer and put me out of my misery I think the only reason I didn't kill myself is I was too afraid that I would go to hell because I was, you know, I grew up in the church, but there were, there were days where I really thought life would be better without life. Did you ever have those thoughts? Yeah. I was just like, I mean, anything would be better than the pain I'm feeling. I was like, I was thinking like death would be a better alternative, but I was never like, I didn't think I would have what it took to go through with making that happen. But I was just yeah, like, man, like it would just be nice to just have nothing happening, no noise, no pressure, just to just be nothingness. I would like that. And that's what, I mean, that's basically what I was trying to achieve every time that I was drinking and using and mixing all that stuff. Like I wanted to achieve that state of nothingness, like just being absolutely faded to the point where it was just like, I wasn't feeling or comprehending any kind of depression or pressure or football. Like it was just like in oblivion basically. Did you do it by yourself sometimes too? Didn't even have to be with people? Yeah, it was it was by myself a lot. You know, those two guys would just be like kind of like, yeah, like, okay, like we can link up like some like sometimes, like it wouldn't be all the time. There's a lot of times where I'll do it by myself. The the player that's still with us that plays arena football, um, does he is he still struggling or is he doing well? Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't I haven't talked to him on that level of things. Um I, you know, I've shared Instagram message with him back and forth a couple of times, but, you know, I don't know uh, that deep into his life like that. Do you think he, you know, looks at you and gets encouragement because he'd done that with you? Or do you think people look at you and be like, oh, that's great for him, but I could never do that? Um, I think he, I think, I think he may, I feel like anybody that has been around me in my life at any time, that any point in that time back then, if they don't, I don't know, man. I feel like if they don't have any kind of faith or hope for what could be possible for their life or how things could turn around, then I don't know what could have that impact on them because back then, you know, there wasn't really nobody believing in me like that or, you know, all these drug tests, all these things happened that knew it. It wasn't people back It wasn't very people back then that were like, oh, man, he's still going to be somebody or he's still going to do something great. It was like, I think we were just kind of like, well, I mean, you know, it's just, the same old thing over and over. So it's like anybody that knew me back then or was around me or back then that sees me now and isn't driven to think like what could be possible for their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what to tell them. What um did your parents, did they, did they know that there was a problem? Like our son keeps failing drug tests. He's in the drug program or was that kept on the hush hush? They didn't know too much. Uh, they knew because they would send uh like they would send like the FedEx letters anytime you failed a drug test. And there was there was really a point in my life where I was afraid <laughs> every day I was afraid to even go in the locker room at the uh, Ravens practice facility because they would the FedEx would just be in your locker like on the stool in front of your locker and there would be a FedEx regularly, Dang. at least a couple times a month probably. <laughs> like I mean you'd be talking like at least the at least a hundred failed drug tests when I was in Baltimore. Are you kidding me? And you know everyone's looking at you as the drug guy on the team, right? 
I mean, everybody, so everybody knew I was in the drug program coming in. So they were like, oh, yeah, you can't do nothing. You can't do this. So I was like, oh, I can't do drugs around any of these people. I got to be by myself or be around somebody that just, just like won't say anything, you know. So I was never even around those people or they never even really saw me actively using, you know. So, uh, but the letters, like in the off season, the letters would kind of would come to my parents' house and I would try to hide them and stuff them away or something. But my parents would find them. So they were kind of like, you know, they knew something was up. Why do you think Harbaugh kept you? Why did he keep you for four years? Why didn't they cut you? Because uh, I had I had flashes in practice where I would do like crazy stuff, like just take over the entire practice. Like, really? I remember um, we played the Saints last year uh, in Monday Night Football, and I had a big game. And uh, I think Mike Wallace tweeted after the game. It was like he was like about time. He used to go for like two hundred yards every day in practice. And I would literally like. <sighs> There would be days where, like, I'll just be out of it and I wouldn't do nothing. So that, but there were days where I would just like absolutely dominate. And so they would kind of be. So they were hoping that the good side would eventually overtake the bad, but it didn't happen while I was there. So what was the moment? What happened? Is it I got I got cut from the Ravens, or did you show up before that? Like, where's Where's your come to Jesus moment for a lack of better terms? When do you wake up? When do you say, okay, I'm done? Um, it was, uh, after I, I overdosed in my Jeep, you know, I was, this was two months after I got suspended for a year by the league. Uh, August 11, 2017 was when I overdosed and I kind of woke up out of that, uh, was like, like I said before, like, I felt like I was in control. I felt like I could still manipulate things. At that point I was like, you know, this is not that, like, I don't have that control anymore. I don't have that, like I'm powerless literally. And so from that point on, I was more open-minded to new things. Cause before I was just like, Nope, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is who I am. Like I was still in that mindset. Like I was when I was 16, you know, I grew into the varsity player and now I was doing drugs and everything was cool. Everything was working. Like I was still thinking like that. And I knew at that point that something had to change and, you know, I ended up going to rehab after that. Once I went to rehab and was exposed to that kind of environment, like a self-care environment, an environment where uh, of pursuing faith uh, through like 12-step programs and things like that. Like, that's when I knew I was like, oh, that's what I was doing before. What I was believing was a lie. Like, it was not what the truth, <laughs> that's not the truth. Like, this is now the truth in my life and I need to go after it and pursue it. And I didn't even think it involved football. I was just talking about just like, working on myself as a person, but eventually that turned into, in my opinion, God's will putting me back into football. Like, I don't right. think it was just like me, like I manifested or like, I'm going back to play football. Like this is what I'm doing. Like the first six months of me being clean and stuff, like I didn't even want to think about it. I didn't even want to go back. So uh, I just feel like at that point, that's where football came back into the equation because that was what God wanted. That's awesome. What, let me ask you this. What was the difference between when you had to go to New York, when you're in Baltimore and you had to do that whole drug program versus what you're talking about right now? What's the difference? Um, I knew at that point, like my life being on the line, when I went to rehab, I was like, I have to be honest here about what I experienced, what I felt, what I've gone through. Because before I was just like, I felt like saying those things promoted a sign of weakness or, you know, or I'm not a man if I talk about my feelings or my emotions or, you know, times where I felt broken for lack of a better term, you know? So 
at that point, I was just like, I can't cling to those, you know, faulty definitions of what a man is anymore because that's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I had to go in there and be as honest as possible. And you didn't feel like that before? No, I did not feel. I felt like me being completely honest was like, I didn't feel like showing myself to the world in a vulnerable fashion like I do now. I felt like that was just like, that would be the death of me because I always feared what people thought and, you know, wanting to think of me in high regard, you know, like I was when I was a kid. Like I just want people to accept me and see me as something that was, you know, worthy of a thumbs up. And I didn't feel like being honest or open or vulnerable or speaking on those things. I don't, I felt like that was the opposite of what I was trying to get. I didn't think people would be able to connect to that. I thought they would, they would only be to con- be able to connect to my success. Isn't it crazy too? And that's Eli, that's how the, the devil works. He works with lies like that. It's like, you know, you have, you know, the 2014, 2015 Darren Waller, 2016 Darren Waller that didn't want to talk about, put this image, but it made, it repelled people from him and he secluded himself. Right. But then when you bring in humility, when you bring in honesty, like now people look at him, that's manly. That's freaking right. masculine. That's not weak. Yeah. The other one was weak because you can't be honest, but honesty makes you freaking strong. Yeah. And people look at you. Now they're attracted to you. Now, you know, yeah, there's always going to be freaking people that want something from you. It doesn't matter if you're in the NFL or you're freaking <laughs> a school teacher. Right. You're going to always attract people. Someone's always going to want something from you, and you just got to be smart to weed those people out. But the good people that come into your life, the good experiences, the opportunities, like it's so cool. What makes me going back to when you started to get clean, you started to get the right mind. You said you didn't want to go back to football right away. Why were you afraid of that pressure coming back? That would put it back on you and make you want to, you know, regress. Yeah, I was afraid of that. And I didn't see, um, you know, there weren't any really sober guys I could look to in the NFL. Like a lot of the guys in the league, like they're great men, like great guys, like, you know, good fathers and things like that, but they would all drink or they would all use, or they would all, you know, do something like, and it was just like, you know, sobriety was still kind of just like, like, like weird, like, you know, guys celebrate a victory by drinking beer on a plane or pouring up bottles on a plane and, you know, things like that. Like that's just part of the culture. So I was just scared. Like, I feel like I'm just going to be the only kind of guy that does that. You know, I'm sure there are guys that are sober here and there in the league, but I just, you know, the kind of guy that I thought I could be and the kind of guys that I looked to when I was in the locker room was just like, I didn't see it as being possible. And I felt like I would just go back into the state of loneliness that I was already in. So I just didn't really want much to do about it because it was so much more than just the game, you know? It was so much more than just actually playing football. If it was just actually playing football, I would have been all for it. I would have been all for it my whole life, but it was just mm-hmm. so much more that went into it that I didn't want to deal with anymore. When did you say, all right, I'm going back. I could do this. And were you, was it like a leap of faith because you were still scared to go back? Or was it like, I ain't afraid anymore. I'm going back. Which was it? Um, it was like, after I started training, like I started, I was training a little bit off and on in the beginning, like just working out and stuff, but like I got hurt. I tore my meniscus in my knee. Uh, I hurt my foot a little bit, like doing some training out. And I was kind of like, man, screw this. But my trainer was staying on me and he was like, he was like, nah, he's like, I still like, I still see it in you. I still feel like, you know, you have, you have an opportunity. And so I was training and, you know, I was passing all my tests and, you know, I knew they would reinstate me like a few months out. So I was just 
you know, I was working at Sprouts before and I, and I stopped working at Sprouts so I could just work full time on training uh, the last few months. And then when I got wow. reinstated a couple weeks into August of training camp, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going back. And I felt confident, you know, in the first two days of practice in Baltimore, you know, I was killing people like I, like I never left, you know, but they had already drafted uh, young, they drafted like Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst that year. So they were invested in them and, you know, talented guys. So I uh, was on the practice squad and after training camp, like they cut me and I was getting in like marginally in the fourth quarter of preseason games. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just had a different attitude. I just felt like, you know, if I'm continuing to work at this, I feel like I'm called here. If I continue to work at this and have the right attitude and perspective, something good is going to happen out of it, whether I play in another game or not. And then me having thoughts like that just surprised myself because I was like, I never That's cool. never thought like this in my life. So I was just, you know, grind, just grinding out, coming in with positive mindset every day. And the number one defense in the league was the Ravens. So it was like, well, I don't get to play in a game, but I'm going to get the number one defense every day. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to know what, I, what I'm capable of. And I was eating that practice. So I was like, all right, like, I was like, I know because of my actions, I may not ever play in a game again. But if I do get an opportunity, like, I'm going to be ready. Like, there's no, there's no question. When you say you're going against the best even, like, our NFL practices, like college practices, where it's full go and we're scrimmaging, and if you're, if you're getting after it, like, it's real? Or is it kind of sub- back off a little bit? Um, it's like that. In training camp, it's, uh, you don't really take people to the ground anymore. Uh, they'll have some periods where, like, they'll say, like, okay, this is live. But mostly it's just, like, you know, like, they'll thud up on the running back or somebody like that, or they'll, like, just, you know, mm-hmm form tackle you off but uh back then in Ravens practice Ravens practices are physical so at least blocking wise at least you know getting open in routes um you know it is physical uh, there's just not really like the, the full tackling element to the ground but it's still very physical dude and the cool thing for you and this is why gosh man mental health is so important it's like a hot word now but five years ago no one talked about mental health but you're your mind changed and because you changed your mind, your circumstances changed. A lot of us out there listening, we want our circumstances to change and then we will show up. Then we will do this. Dude, it doesn't work that way. It's got to start with you. And that's why I love following you on Instagram, which by the way, y'all need to follow the one and only Darren Waller on Instagram. I'm going to tell y'all right now to follow him. On uh, on Instagram, it's Rackwall, R-A-C-K, another K, Wall, R-A-C-K-K, Wall, because you're always encouraging, you're always inspiring, and you mix in some pretty sick freaking plays that you're making from time to time, which that equally inspires me. But even though you were on the practice squad, even though you were getting, for lack of better terms, garbage time, you were still encouraged, you were still working towards a goal, right? Yeah, and that was, it's funny, that was around the time where, I started what I discovered Michael Todd in uh, those sermons. It was a ser- it was a series called Planted Not Buried. It was a series in like 2018, I believe it was, and it was literally speaking to the exact situation of my life. Like in the series, he's talking about you know the way that you would plant a seed and the way that you would bury a dead body look the same, like you bury them in dirt, but one is just the beginning and one is an ending, and so. I, and from that series, I was like, wow, like, this is me. Like, even this time, like, the seed has to grow underground. Roots have to grow underground in order for something to grow above ground. And so I felt like that was the time of me growing the roots 
to set up for the things that I'm experiencing in my life now. So that message and that time in that series was really what was keeping me encouraged throughout that time. Does he know that you follow him and you like him or no? Uh, I mean, I follow him. I don't think he knows. Okay, well, he's going to know this week. Do you want to talk to him? Like, do you want to be his friend or no? I think that would be dope, yeah. Oh, okay, that's on. That's a done deal. See, hey, the richest people in the world build networks. If your network is your network. We're, I'm going to make that happen for you. If that's what you want, we'll make it happen. Um, so, okay, so then you still get cut, right? The, the Ravens release you, or did the Raiders do a trade for you? How did it work? Um, so, yeah, it was uh, after we played <laughs> – the Ravens played the Raiders the Sunday after Thanksgiving, 2018. And they saw me out there warming up. Cause I always do like this warm up routine on the t-shirts and shorts. And I'd stay out extra and uh, RG three would throw me a whole bunch of extra routes. And so we were running and throwing and the Raiders coaching staff, like I'm trying to, I always think back and like, were they just out there just lollygagging around or I don't know what they were doing, but apparently they saw me working out and were like, who is that? We don't have anybody like that on our team. And they signed me right after the game, like on the, on the plane. And so the next day my agent hit me, I was, uh, I was at a collision repair shop because I, my mirror, my Jeep got knocked off. So I was trying to get a quote. <laughs> right. Fixed. And my agent called me and was like, you're going to the Raiders. The Raiders want you. And uh, I was like, <laughs> all right, yeah, I'm going. And then he was like, the Ravens have a chance to, uh, to elevate you to the roster there. So then you have a choice. So uh, Harbaugh called me on the phone and was like, man, like I've been trying to get you up. I've been trying to like, you know, and the next week we're, they're playing in Atlanta, which was my hometown. So he's trying to use that. And I was just like, I don't know, man. I just felt like this opportunity, like it would be great for me to get a new start, like yeah. new eyes on into a new environment because I don't know. It's like, I've, I feel like I've kind of like done my time here. Like I've, like I, I failed and messed up and now I'm doing the right thing. And I kind of feel like it's being like hung over my head in a sense because yeah. the, the abilities there, the talents there, the work ethics there. But now it's all a matter of when you want to give me a chance and you're not giving me a chance. So that's why I just went with the Raiders. Good for you. Was, um, was Gruden there at the time? Was Gruden the guy that's trying to get you or is it someone else? Yeah, it was Gruden. Uh, Greg and Greg Olson, who's our offensive coordinator. Uh, though, the, uh, I think Oli was the first one that saw me and then he brought it to Gruden and Gruden like I think Gruden called one of our Monday night games where I had a, a touchdown against the Patriots when I was with Baltimore. So he like knew of me and me coming out of the draft. So they they both collectively made the decision. Different Greg Olson than the tight end from the Panthers or same one? Yes, different Greg <laughs> different, different Greg, Greg Olson. Olson. Different Dude, Greg I have Olson. a really cool RG three story for you. Are you still friends with RG three? Do you talk to him? Uh I haven't talked to him in a while. If you do ask him about this, my friend Gary Cobleon, who is a speed and strength uh, coach in Southern California, he trains Deshaun Jackson, which is why Deshaun's 80 years old and still fast in the league. Um, he was friends with Deshaun. Deshaun was playing for the Redskins. The Redskins played the Cardinals. So we went to Arizona to watch Deshaun and the Redskins play. RG3 has a career-ending ankle injury. And everyone at ESPN is right when he started to get good with the Redskins. Done. Me, Rex Crane, who's been on the podcast, you know Rex. We believe in the power of God. We believe in the healing miracles of Jesus. I've seen too much to not believe. So, dude, RG3 walks by. Deshaun makes an intro to RG3. He's on crutches. He's done. We freaking pray on him. Dude, the power of God hit RG3. 
homie's back in three weeks. And Bro. reporters were, it was crazy. That's cool. This is before he went to the Raven and stuff. Like, dude, that's, so good. that's why I get so jacked up because, like, I know God's real and I know he's in the healing business. Yep. And then you look at Darren's, like, I don't know. I just, that's a cool RG3 story. If you ever talk to him about it, but hey, remember those guys that prayed on you in Arizona? That was me and my boy Rex. Um, so, okay. So now let's go to Las Vegas. You go to Vegas, new dude, new team, new life, new mindset. And 2019, you had a good year. And then 2020, which is right before the season, when I met you for the first time for your event, dude, you end up like you go off. What changed? How does that happen? Um, I think it happened because, you know, I tried to just have the most simple approach as possible. Like people talk about setting goals. I just went in with the same ones. It's like, if, if I have a right attitude, if I have, if I prepare to the best of my ability and if my effort is uh, at the maximum level, I feel like whatever God's will is for the stat sheet or, you know, for what I'm supposed to do to look like, it'll, it'll be pleasing to him and then pleasing to me at the end of the day, like I won't have to stress over, I need this many yards and catches. Like, like this is why I, I need this contract right now. It was just like, you know, if I keep it that simple and win one rep at a time, win one play, if I could continuously win one play, like I wouldn't even know what my stats were until like after the game. And so I would tell my stats, I'll be like, <laughs> what the heck? Like, and literally like, so that's because if I was worried about those stats, there was no way I'll be able to be as present in the game to be able to move from play to play with the same energy and the same focus. So I just try to keep it like that. Just throw stats out the window, throw the outcomes out the window, just hope and believe that the outcome will be good and put then put the outcome in God's hands. So cool. And by the way, in case you ever doubted, uh, you are a preacher and it needs to be done. So we'll let that evolve whenever it evolves. But I'm telling you right now, yes, there is a calling on your life because man, you, the thing about it is, you could reach so many more people than pastors can because you're not a pastor. You're a real guy that has been through some things. And one of my favorite preachers of all time, God bless him, the late Miles Monroe said, you can tell a true leader not by the medals he wears on his chest, but by the scars he has on his back. And you got some scars and those speak louder than the accomplishments because you've overcome. So, man, you can reach so many people and you're going to. And I believe that. Uh, let me ask you a couple more questions. I'll let you go because I appreciate you staying with me this long. Um, do you when did you know I can take my story and change other people's lives? I can take what I've been through and really inspire people and change the game, because like you said, you are now you're the spokesperson for sobriety in the NFL. Like you really are. No one took that mantle before you and now you've taken it and you've ran with it. When did you know that was again, that was what you were going to do? Um, I wasn't really a calculated plan. You know, it's kind of like this. I feel like God will give me like a nudge. Like and we were in hard knocks 2019 for a uh, training camp. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they were, the team was like, yeah, the, uh, the HBO is going to want to sit down with you and do a, like a part with you on the show. And I remember Mike Mayock and some of those guys are like, you don't have to do it if you don't want to, we'll keep them away from you. Da, da, da. And then I just felt that nudge. And I was just like, nah, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to say, you know, it's time. I, mean, I, I don't think I got nothing to hide. 
anymore. Like people right. know everything about me. So it's a, uh, and I just went forward and did it. And I was just kind of like, Oh, like, I like, all right. I just went forward the rest of the day. It was just like, yeah, this is cool. Like, and then I think the episode came out maybe like a week later and I was just, you know, doing my thing. And then all of a sudden, like my social media goes insane and things like that. So it's just like, I was just like, Oh, like, this is like a thing. Like people are like, really like, like, I was like, this is a big deal now. Like I, when I, when I was just like, Oh, I thought I was just kind of sharing like what was real. And cause I don't want to, I didn't want to be that guy that was just putting forth an image. Like now I'm good. Like I'm clean. Like, you know, there's nothing, there was nothing wrong. There was nothing that was going on. Like I wanted to present a real picture cause I knew I could see that person that was like me when I was 15 years old. And I was like, man, if I don't speak on it now, like, they're probably going to feel the same way I did, but if they can see me and see someone that's a pro, yeah, you know how people gravitate to professional athletes. It's just like, and if you use that platform to present a state of realness and like allow people to reach out and touch you, like that's what can go further. And I thought like, like it would be extremely selfish of me not to speak then and there. Dude, that's awesome. And then when was the Darren Waller foundation beyond the wall? When was that formed? Um, I think we started uh, February of 2020, right after the 2019 season, because it was kind of like, all right, like the platform's in place, and I was itching for more ways to give back, because that was, you know, services, like what really gives you that feeling that you're looking for. Um, and so the foundation was formed in, you know, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Thankfully, I was partnered with, uh, you know, Jeff and Andrea at Prolanthropy, because Good people. There's no way I would have known how to what to do by myself. So I'm very thankful to them for helping me uh, do what we're able to do today. Uh, but yeah, February 2020 was when we first started at the height of the pandemic, baby. Yep, it was crazy. I still I still remember we had our first uh, a Darren Waller event, and you know Derek Carr was throwing footballs in the crowd, and it, we raised a ton of money, and it's helping so many people. Tell us about your foundation real quick. What does the foundation do, and who does it help? Uh, yeah, the Darren Waller Foundation uh, aims to equip young people in their battle with addiction, uh, either while it's happening or hopefully before it ever starts. So it's uh, with uh, prevention and education on you know substances that they're using, uh, and just using my story to let them know like where your life could go uh, if you choose to go that route, and just trying to give them tools to you know navigate it another way and to just stay true to themselves and not compromise like I did. Uh, so that's what the foundation is all about. Putting people in treatment, uh, giving them tools, giving them the, the wall talks that we do, just giving them principles of my life that can help change theirs in a positive way. So it's just helping kids because it's a big thing, especially here in Vegas, but you know, really everywhere. So I just want to get front lines of that. I'm honored to be a part of it as your MC and auctioneer and just your, your wingman. You are the man. Two more questions uh, before I let you go. One, what are you excited about now? What's the goal now? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I just want to continue to see where I can take the influence of the foundation, see uh, where I can take my vision, see how I can continue to elevate it to think like, okay, like we're doing good things now, but how do I, you know, change the landscape of what young people think and do in Las Vegas or in the country. Like, how do I continue to make my vision even to the point of crazy, you know, even mm -hmm. to the point of, you know, who's to say that I can't be 
a Hall of Fame player. Like, who's to say that I can't be, <laughs> yes. you know, an artist that makes music that, you know, influences a ton of people. So it's just like thinking in ways like that and not limiting myself to saying, okay, like God's done a lot in my life right now, but why would I put a cap on him? Why would I put a limit on him now and just allow him to continue to take me where he wants to go? Because I've already exhausted, you know, my will and my plans in my life and they weren't great plans, sadly. Uh, but thankfully that, you know, God has taken me somewhere more greater than I could ever imagine on my own. I see you building something like a house or something to where it's your house. It's like Waller's house, Waller street, wall street, whatever it is to where people go to get better, almost like a rehab, but way better because you know what works and you know what doesn't work. Cause you've been there. And I think as you progress in your career and you surround yourself with the right people like that, that's going to happen. Um, dude, that is so freaking cool. I, I do want to ask you this question now that you're on the other side. A, can you have a drink or two or absolutely not? And B, do you, are you afraid you'll ever go back to that? Or is it like, no, dude, that's not even on my radar. Been there, done that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's good for me to have a drink because I'm not at some point, you know, I, I could probably do one night where I could have a drink or two, but then eventually it's going to turn into a bottle. Eventually it's going to turn into pills and cocaine. So it's like, it's just going to continue to snowball like that for me. So I know that that's not a route I want to go. And, you know, if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I love, I love my life right now. Uh, right. And I want to keep it the way that it is. I'm around a lot of athletes. Um, you surround yourself with family. Gosh, you have such a freaking great family. I mentioned cousin Brandon in the beginning. Just, I just want to be that dude's friend. Like he's just, that's just a good I just love just screw the football and stuff like just good people. And you have that. Um, what like lady situation, like relationship wise, like you're not surrounded by 25 hot chicks. Like I see a lot of my other football players with, is that intentional or have you just not found the right one yet or what's going on? Um, I mean, it's intentional for me to not be around a whole bunch of hot chicks. You know what I'm saying? Um, I just, because for me, like I have the disease of addiction, so it's like if it's not drugs and alcohol, like if I if I'm not monitoring it and you know staying fit spiritually, it'll turn into being addicted to women. So it's like making sure that I'm not just trying to get something out of them or use them to make me feel good. You know, it's just like waiting on to to find a person. You know what I'm saying? I was just I was actually just this is breaking news. I was just in New Mexico this past weekend. Uh, with a girl that I've been talking to. So we'll see where that goes. Nice. How'd you meet her? Um, in person. Oh, cool. Organically. Nice. So I think you should be addicted to Jesus and healing. Cause that's your future. You're going to heal a lot of people. You're a, <laughs> you are a good man and please send my best to your family until we meet again. I don't see anything on the books, uh, for the rest of this year. So I'll probably see you next year in 2022, maybe early spring or something. After, uh, after, after we here at the Titans host you guys in the AFC championship game. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We have the same record. Now what's the optimism for the team this year? Of course, you know, we had those challenges losing Gruden a couple weeks ago, but you guys are two and oh, since you lost your head coach, seems like things are going well, huh? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the staff that's in place is great as far as 
keeping guys focused uh, and the leadership on the team is great as well. So the talent's there on both sides of the ball and the kicking game too. So, uh, you know, we're hitting that stretch where last year, the last two years we started six and three and six and two and we kind of fell off. But mm-hmm. this year just, you know, it, it feels different with the guys that we have. And I think guys know that that shift took place, but now it's about how do we shift it into a new direction, into a new height. So I like where it's going. Me too. They have a really good tight end, number 83. You should check him out sometime. He's a beast. He's a beast. Dude, uh, so as we let you go, we always ask for our um, for our guests to leave one level up moment. Maybe it's your favorite quote. Maybe it's something you've learned. What's the silver lining here? What can you tell the listeners as you leave them? How do, you, how do they level up? Uh, you know, I hit him with the quote, uh, Winston Churchill, uh, success is moving from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Uh, you're talking to a guy that's failed numerous, numerous, numerous occasions, but uh, good things are still happening for me. And because of uh, my resilience and perseverance uh, that, you know, that guy has given me, uh, other people are influenced because of it. And who's and why can that not be you? So that's uh, that's my quote. Amen. Preach. See, Reverend Darren Waller. Got him right here on Level Up. We're going to make the Mikey Todd thing happen. You and him need to be friends. Dude, thank you so much. I freaking love you, bro. You're a class act. I'm just, man, I'm so happy for you. Like, I'm a a fan, dude. I'm rooting for you. I just want you to do good things and have a great year, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, man, thanks for having me, man. This is a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. You're the man. God bless you, brother. And thank you for listening this week. Please like, subscribe, and share this one. Obviously, leave a comment, leave a five-star rating, and go follow Darren Waller. Support his foundation. It's making a tangible difference in the lives of people who are living and also extending lives and preventing people from taking their lives, man. I'm telling you, this foundation is very near and dear to my heart. Support it and get involved, which, by the way, This foundation does some really cool freaking fun stuff. Darren Waller concert off the charts. Thank you so much for listening. This has been another week of Level Up.